0: Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Grace fulfills the promise. Close your eyes, bow your heads, Holy Spirit. We are stepping holy ground right now as we ponder in your word. This is not a lecture. This is the living Inerrant, powerful word of God that can change our destiny, that can shift our lives from death to life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you fill this room, change the atmosphere, and open the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of the gospel in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, Amen Amen and Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 until verse 18, Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, say contract. That's another name for contract, okay? It's because in the ancient time, they didn't have this word contract as we have in our vocabulary. So the translator, translators brought like that, a man-made covenant. We're going to talk about that. No one knows it or adds to it has been. No one has no one knows it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Verse sixteen. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offspring's, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. Is Christ? This is what I mean. The law, which came four hundred and thirty years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. Verse eighteen: For inheritance comes by the law; it no longer comes by promise, but but, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So the goal of Paul now is to explain that what God had began in Abraham have the continuation in the new covenant. The fact that the law of Moses came did not interrupt God's original plan into bringing the promises into the perfect fulfillment in Christ Jesus. In Christ, all the other covenants has no meaning at all. In other words, the new covenant is actually the continuation of the promises made covenant with Abraham. Now, I know I'm speaking with some strange terms from To some of you guys. So I need to define this. Because Paul starts the conversation saying. To give a human example brothers. Even with a man made covenant. No one knows it or adds to it. Once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham. So let's define the term promise here. Promise is when you. Uh, make a commitment to someone, to give someone, to pay someone, to uh, live with someone, to provide to someone. In the basis of your words, you make this commitment, you make this promise, and in uh, in order to keep that ties, you say. This is what I promise to you. I promise that I will marry you. I promise that I will give you this car when I come back from that trip. I'll bring you a. Pro- I'll bring you a gift. I'm promising you. Now, when God promises us something, He doesn't need to prove anything because He cannot lie. We just sing the song. God is not a man that cannot fulfill His words. We're just saying about His word is valid. He's always faithful. Now, as Paul requires some background knowledge in the Old Testament, specifically over the story of Abraham, I have to travel with you there again in Genesis chapter 12 and find out what promises were then. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. And we read... And I will make you a great nation. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will bless you, Abraham. And I will make your name great. Now, God is just promising him, giving him the, his word and saying, I will do that. Actually, Abraham, because you are going to be so blessed, you will be a blessing. I always like to open this parenthesis just like Pastor Tudu did. Ultimately... All the blessings that we encourage you to pursue by faith, we, it is with the goal to turn you into a blessing. So don't, again, don't come with this uh, uh, concern that maybe Vine Church is the prosperity gospel place where I preach about that. We preach about prosperity because God promised and He delights in our prosperity. But ultimately, whatever we are being blessed with is to turn you into a blessing. Come on, somebody. If the blessings you receive and enjoy did not end up becoming and turning you into a blessing, it is useless. But let's keep reading verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham could doubt that God will bring that promises to pass. Because that's what happens sometimes when a man promised to a woman that he loves her, that he wants to live with her. And he made this promise when they were dating, but the dating time never ends. They are dating for a month, a year, two years, 15 years. There's something wrong with this promise. In one moment, this promise has to become a Covenant. Are you guys following me I'm saying? So if this guy keep promising and promising and never turn the promise into a contract, into a document, into a covenant, he cannot be trusted. Are you guys with me? So And God knows how man relates to one another. That's why in the following chapters of Genesis... Even though God doesn't need to sustain His words with any covenant, He doesn't need to do this because when He says, He fulfills. God, understanding our weakness and our doubts and untrust, He now commits Himself through a covenant. If you jump to Genesis chapter 15 now, that's what happens. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with God. Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And he made a covenant. Now, you're going to wonder, but what is, the, what is the condition for Abraham to have this partnership, this agreement with God? Remember, God can only marry covet, covenant covenant can make an alliance, a link with someone that is as righteous as he is. Like, if God that is pure, that is holy, that is totally righteous and just, we're going to make a business with someone, that other part has to be somehow righteous as well. Now, we know that Abraham was not as righteous as God. The story tells us that he lied even about his own wife. I don't know where he got guts to do that. Because if I lie about my wife to someone and she finds out, I don't know what's going to happen to me. But that was the case of Abraham. He lied about his own wife twice. Now, so it seems that he was not as perfect to be in covenant with God. But how, how Abraham could be in covenant with God? Verse 6, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Is one of the most repeated verses in the New Testament. It says, because Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted that faith, that belief, to Abraham as righteousness. Come on, somebody. This is so important. Now, God could, again, made a covenant with Abraham. Now, let's understand this a little better, because uh, when a promise... ...turns into a covenant, there are many ways to seal a covenant, to seal a contract, okay? So, for example, if a promise to my son that I'll give him my car one day, okay? My son can, you know, desire so much that promise one day to come to pass. And I said, don't worry, one day I'll give it, one, one day I'll give it, and he's getting 15, and now he's 16, And he's anxious because finally the promise can become a covenant. How, pastor? I'll give him a signed title of my car. So the signed title is a covenant. Are you guys with me? A man promised to a woman, I love you. I want to live for you. I want to provide. I want to protect you for the rest of my life. Beautiful, romantic, but it's useless. If that promise does not turn into a covenant, how we seal the covenant? We gather the family, the bride's family, the groom's family. And the guy and the girl uh, uh, promise one another in front of witnesses that will keep them on accountable. accountable for their promises. By the way, open parenthesis, I just said this in the first service, I have to say that as well. I know today, wedding lost a lot of its meaning in the sense that you just want to be one of the guests to eat a good free food in a good party. But if you were invited to a wedding feast, remember that you are a witness of that promises turning into a covenant, which means that in the future, if that couple somehow, for some reason, decided to get Apart, you as a witness are going to say, No, 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 sir. I was there. I saw what you said. Hey, lady, I remember what you said to him. You are accountable for your words. And I was there to be your witness and to keep you guys together no matter what. I remember you said, In rich and in poor, in health and in sickness, in good days, in bad days. And I was there and I said, Amen for that. So you guys are going to stick together no matter what. Close parentheses. Because, you know, that, that's the way to seal promises into a covenant. And that's why the parents should be there, the, the witness should be invited. All right. In the ancient time, there were many ways to seal a covenant. One of the ways to seal a covenant was two parties. When they were doing a business, an agreement that they had promised to one another, they will now have a sacrifice together. It's kind of strange for us, but the image is very vivid. The idea is, look, I promise that I'm going to pay you the $10,000 car. Okay? Today, in our days, what do we do? We give to the uh, car dealer $1,000 as a token on my part. That I will fulfill my promise to pay the remaining $9,000. In the other part, the other part or party on the agreement. He going to give me a document allowing me to drive this car. And now that's how we sealed the promises into a covenant. But if you were in the ancient time. Instead of giving him $1,000 as a down payment. And he giving me some sort of document. We're going to go. We're going to have witnesses To seal our covenant, to seal our promises. And later, we're going to go to the place of sacrifice and we're going to make a sacrifice together. Now, take the image here because it's important to see that. In other words, we will see animals being slaughtered in a bloody sacrifice. And that powerful image through my memory will make me fearful in case I'll break my promise. I will say, in other words, if I do not fulfill my part in this agreement, the same way that happened to these sacrificed animals, that thing was going to happen to me as well. I'll be slaughtered. I'll be in bloody, destroyed. And I wanted that. So be sure I will fulfill my part in the promise. Done. The promise became a covenant. Are right, guys with me? So God, speaking the language of the ancient time. In a very strange image for our 21st century perspective of a covenant, he sealed the promise to Abraham in a bloody sacrifice. This portion is in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 17. So what are you expecting there? you are expecting that now you have God, one of the parties of the agreement, and Abraham, the other part. And both who come and seal the covenant. However, Abraham is blocked to be part of the sacrifice. The Bible says that he is simply unable, powerless, to participate in the process. And strangely as it seems, instead of only two parts, Abraham and God, there are three figures over there. One is an expression of smoke. It is just like a a, a, a kind of a mist, moving mist, moving smoke. And the other part is a column of fire. And Abraham tries a couple of times to participate of the sacrifice, but God pushes him away, pushes him away. And only these two entities is doing this sacrifice. And you wonder, well, why? Like if you're going to make a covenant, Abraham should be part of, but God knows how weak Abraham is to fulfill any part on that covenant and God says don't worry Abraham this is a unilateral irrevocable covenant that I make to me to myself I will bless you and there is nothing you can add there is no condition it is God making a covenant with God the son in that moment in Abraham and you in Abraham being blessed by that promise sealed covenant. Now it's important to get this progression because for us, the promises of God will be already enough. But God knowing uh, how weak we are in to trust Him, He says, Don't worry, I'll give you a covenant, a sealed covenant. Now, here comes the legalist. In the case of the Galatians, the Judaizers, and they visit our services, they come to our life groups, and they say, this just sounds so good to be true. You mean that it's just an unconditional covenant that I had no part at all, and I'm just blessed as the beneficiator of all the covenant? Yes. No, 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 it cannot be like that. We have to add some sort of law in this thing. But that's the point. Abraham could not add a thing to that Covenant. Now now you're understanding why Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, Even in a human or in a man-made covenant, no one can announce or add anything to it. But much more, a God-made covenant. No one will be able to add or to take anything from it. And in the new covenant, you are already blessed. But but I, 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 should I do anything? You did already when you believe like Abraham. That's our only participation. That's the picture here. But I thought I should do something about it. No. Now, if the covenant will not be good enough, God went further. And that's where it gets even better. What I mean about that is, for example, when I married the, the, my, my wife, right, I turned my Loving. Uh, provision. Uh, it, um, t- uh, till death do us apart. P- um, promise into a covenant. With witnesses. And also with a signed document. When we went to the civil court. I went there. I signed it. I sealed my promises. Turning them into a covenant. But... It's usual that couples that are married for a couple of years, they renew their vows. Have you ever heard about this? So, for example, the couple is married for 25 years, and now they are celebrating their silver anniversary, right? They are having the renewal of their vows. Usually what happens, and I already had celebrate some here in this house, some couples in our church. I know they are not present Most of the time, because you think is everybody's young here, but we have some people celebrating 20 plus, 25 plus years together, which is awesome to know that. And in these ceremonies, in these you know parties, usually the the husband and the wife, even though they already walked and proved their promises to one another for 25 years. In other words, he proved his part providing for her. Uh, She proved to him love enough to take care of his children. They proved to one another the promises, uh, fulfilling the conditions of faithfulness to one another during 25 years. In these ceremonies, usually, it seems that they feel urged to turn the vows even better. It's almost like... It seems that the covenant allows a little bit of extra improvement. That's when usually the guy you're going to say, All right, Milban, I promise you that I know for the past 25 years, you cooked so much for us and our little monsters that we generated. I promise you in the next 25 years, you're not going to cook as much. I'm going to drive you to a good restaurant at least twice a week. In other words, improvement, hallelujah. And she also going to, you know, promise some sort of whatever it is, you know, I'm going to love you more. I'm going to, you know, do your favorite food, whatever it is. So, so they're going to somehow enhance or add on to the covenant. Now, as, as positive as it can be, this aspect, it also opens the possibility of renegotiation of a covenant. That's what happens when you cannot pay your bill, right? What do you try to do? You try to reveal the covenant. You try to reveal the contract. Are you guys with me? So God knows how weak we are to trust his word, that his promise will not be enough. So he turned into a covenant. But now that covenant is also this unstable ground of trust, God went further. And he turned his covenant into a testament. Now, let's learn a little bit about this concept because testament is not something that you can add on, take off, change anything at all. Now, we know that in order for a covenant to become a testament, one of the parties has to die. And we know the rest of the story. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16, the Bible says, For where a will, a testament, Where a testament is involved, the death of the one who made it, it must be established. After the death, the will or testament becomes the document of inheritance. Christ has died and now the clauses of the new covenant became a new testament. It can never be changed. Enhance or belittle. Nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken from it. At the cross, he cried out, It is finished. Oh, yeah. oh, Jesus, this is so good to be true, Lord. And that's true. Now, I don't know if you ever wonder why we don't call the division of our Bibles the BC writings or the AD writings. It could be a fair name, right? It's like, literally like, before Christ's writings and after death writings. But did you notice that we call this what? Old and New Testament. You know what it means? It means that the Old Testament is closed. You cannot add. You cannot take it. What is written? It is written. There is no change. Misinterpretation. I thought God was meaning to say this. and No, he said what he said. But... It is sad to say that some of us with the right to live in a better testament are trying to reopen the Old Testament and live under its conditions. Why would we do that? Why would we do that, Judaizers? Why would we do that, brother and sister, when there is an inheritance? Let's go back to Galatians because that's another expression that Paul uses uh, over here in verse 18. For if the inheritance, inheritance implies, Galatians chapter three, verse eighteen, implies testament. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. Galatians three eighteen. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Mm, so the promise became a covenant but in Christ Jesus is sealed as a new testament and we can enjoy inheritance we can legally require in the grounds of the finished work of the cross has nothing to do with you your part is the same part that Abraham participated he believed and that was counted to him as righteousness. Are you guys following? i trying to say this is so, so important. Now, if you don't get that, that's the problem when we're going to stumble with the law. Now, let me explain this again because the, 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 the rest of the passage here, Paul, we're going to stretch a little bit about the law. Let's go over there, Galatians chapter 19. What is the use of the law? Let's learn. So what the law then? What is the purpose of the law? Why then the law? It was added because of transgression. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Twenty. Now an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a, a law had been given... That could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything. I need you to repeat this verse with me. Say it with me. Say, the scripture. scripture. Let me hear your voice. Say, the scripture. scripture. Imprisoned Imprisoned. everything Everything. under sin. This is very important. That's the very explanation why we have the law. There's more explanation I'm going to bring And the text continues, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Send one of your hands, say, I believe. believe. If you believe, you have a covenant. If you believe, you became an heir of a testament. All right, the use of the law. Number one, remember that the law describes the character of God. We're talking in a time when the Greek, crazy, bipolar, unstable, unpredictable gods could lust your wife and could simply take her away from you. That's pretty much how the Greek Roman gods were. You guys remember this. If Zeus were with a bad mood on that day, he could destroy your entire home and assets just because he had Thor to do... Some, I'm just creating connections here that has nothing to do with one another. This is my knowledge of, myth, of mythical characters. You know, like, like, In other words, you can never trust those guys. But when the law was given, somehow God was saying, I don't want you to kill because I don't like murder people. I don't want you to steal because you don't need to steal. You still can ask me. So that's why you should not covet someone of, of somebody, or something of somebody else. You can simply ask. Like you should not use my name in vain because I am not an ordinary name to be used. I'm out of the categories of things. I am the only one that categorizes things here. I am the holy one. So God is expressing his character through the law. That's one of the most aspects of the law. But Paul, in many texts in the New Testament, he clearly says that the law was given so we could realize how sinful we are. Now, even the AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous, they use this same First step. That's actually how they call it. The first step is the step to realize how weak you are before your struggles. A person must realize there is darkness in his or her heart. Learn to call sin, sin. Not to call personality or sexual orientation or nickname as this is just my family upbringing. No, 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 no. This is sin. Call it how it is. It is offensive. It is destructive. It is wrong. It is destroying you from inside out and make other people hurt. And God expressed through the law that, but what i am going to do? And that's why, for example, Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says, What well, then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. If, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. In other words, it's a diagnosis. It is a mirror to show how sinful we are and how powerless we are to be free from that that power with our own effort. And he keeps saying, I would not have known what is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. All right, let's understand this because the law was given and one people... Try to embrace two covenants, and that's the problem. We have one people living under two covenants, and that problem, so vividly described in the story of the people of Israel, was at risk to happen with the Galatians, and definitely it is a danger, dangerous place for us to also fall. All right, let's understand this. The people of Israel, while they were, until the deliverance from Egypt, I need your biblical knowledge now, okay? They are under 400 years in slavery bondage in Egypt. And a deliverer come up, his name is Moses, and he delivers the people from that slavery oppression The covenant that the Hebrew people were still under was named the covenant of Abraham. There was no requirement from them, but just faith. Faith in what? In the case of the people of Israel, faith that the blood of the lamb placed at the door of their houses will bring them deliverance. Simple like that. Now, remember the picture here, the last plague over Egypt. What was the last plague? Do you guys remember? The death of the firstborn. What was the condition for the Hebrew people to not experience that plague? They should be in the house with the blood at the door, and they should trust the power of the blood. Do you think there was no uh, disagreement between husband and wife that night do you think that if you had a small little Tiaguinho running around you'd be super worried that he by chance you're going to go out woman please take care of this boy and the disagreement is going to happen inside of the house because he was supposed to keep the eyes over there because she was cooking the lamb inside of the house there was disagreement but nobody died that night why nobody died in the night because the blood was at the door and the trust The faith in the blood protected, saved them. The same trust led the people of Israel in many other moments, events, that instead of being cursed, punished, actually their mistakes were opportunities for God to show His grace. Are you crazy, pastor? How you dare to say such a thing? I'll give you some examples. Here it is, the people of Israel. At the shores of the Red Sea, and they are super worried and afraid. The Egyptians are coming. In front of them, there's only water. What are they gonna do? They are so desperate, they says, Why did you bring us here? Look, Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Now, this is seen because they are clearly saying against the leader that God stood for them. But you know what happened? God opened the Red Sea. What? Yeah, God opened the Red Sea. Later on, they come to a place that there was no sweet, drinkable water. It is the wilderness of Merah. In that place, they once again... Complain. Look, Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. Are you guys with me? Are you guys in rush? No. No. So help me out. Take it easy. I need to. I'm gonna explode if I don't share that. Verse 17. Verse chapter 17, verse 3. Now, again, in Merah, in the in the in the springs of Merah, but the people thirsted for their wo- Thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. Come on, again complaining. Yes, and you know the result? God turned the water sweet for them to drink. So God's blessings and provisions did not depend on their goodness or worthiness. Because they were still in the covenant of grace, the covenant of Abraham. There are other situations, but let's speed up to the point where that people decided to embrace another covenant. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Which covenant? The Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of faith, the covenant of unmerited favor. You shall be treasure possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that shall speak to the people of Israel. Now pay attention. Peter, we're going to quote this portion in 1 Peter, saying exactly that. So you, leader, you minister, you priest in the house here. We, as leaders, sometimes feel so unable, powerless to lead and to be an example to someone. Why? Because we are falling from the covenant of Abraham. Jesus called it the new covenant. The apostles sealed as the New Testament. And now we are, call, we, are we are trying to mix covenants. Why are you going to do that? Later on, the people of Israel said in verse 8. All the people answered together and said. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. From now on, God, don't deal with us. On the basis of grace, don't deal with us on the basis of your love because we believe the power of the blood, but deal with us on the basis of our doings. And the result is terrible. There is no occurrence of anyone or any plague coming to the Hebrew people until that moment the mountain sinai moment they were complaining they were making their mistakes they were failing as humans do but instead of curses and destruction god found an opportunity to express his grace forgiveness unmerited goodness and blessings over them after that every stumbling every bad word Received the proper curse of the law. Now God is inviting us back to that covenant. The promises to Abraham that turn into a covenant to Abraham. That Jesus, when he gave us the bread and the wine, called it the new covenant. And now we have as an inheritance. Let's stand up this morning. Let's read three blocks of verses here before we close this service. Galatians 3.18 For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Number one, what are the promises that are hovering upon your life? Remember the day that when you came in that revival meeting, that prophetic meeting that God spoke through a prophetic word to you? Maybe it's time to you come back to the new covenant, to the basis of faith in order to see those promises coming to pass. Verse 22, But the scripture imprisoned everything on their scene, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody says by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ keep saying might be given, might be given to, those to those who believe two hands high who believe you believe I believe so you, you are fulfilling the conditions it's time to see the promises coming to pass last block of verses verse 25 but now that faith has come come on somebody we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of of God through faith. Oh, Jesus. It was by faith in the promise that God gave the blessings to Abraham. That is the same basis in which we can enjoy the promises today. The conclusion is, every sinner who trusts Christ for salvation receives completely independent of his good works or merits eternal life the sinner that believes in his heart can now inherit the promise that god made to abraham fulfilled in christ jesus and was sealed as a testament and all of this is solely by grace through faith.